Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer. Today, we're gonna do, I don't know if this is everyone's favorite show of the year or least favorite show <laughs> of the year, but we are gonna be making predictions about 2024. And for this daunting task, we have Henry Washington, Kathy Fecky, and James Daynard all joining us today. Hi, everyone. Hello. What's up, what's up? I just wanna say that I, I'm feeling lucky because I... <laughs> was the closest to predicting my grandbaby's birth this morning. So congratulations. <laughs> You're we didn't have a prize, but I was really good at that prediction. So I'm like I said, I'm feeling good. That's very exciting. <laughs> it just happened this morning? This morning, yeah. And you're still recording a podcast. Amazing. Right I know. As soon as this is over, you know where I'm headed. <laughs> that is dedication. Thank you for still being here. If you need to run at any point. Oh, no, I was already there this morning. I'll I'll, I'll go back. <laughs> All right. Well, Henry and James, we're all screwed now because Kathy has luck on her side. <laughs> Before we get into this year's predictions, just as a reminder, we did just re-air our 2023 predictions we recorded about a year ago. So if you want to hear what we thought in detail going into this past year, you can go check out that episode. And also, just to make us feel a little bit better about ourselves and showcase the fact that analysts, you know, it's a tough job to make predictions, particularly in this type of economy. And just to demonstrate that, I just want to recap some of the predictions that Zillow and Redfin made going into 2023. And curious if you guys, uh, 
think they nailed it on the head or could do a little better this year. So three of Zillow's 2023 predictions were number one, housing affordability <laughs> will grow. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Makes me feel better about all my predictions. <laughs> yeah. I was wrong about stuff this year, but that one is uh, just for everyone's reference. Housing affordability is at the lowest point it's been since 1985. So definitely whiffed on that one. Number two, Midwest will grow in demand. That one is actually, I, I don't know if it's gone up in like absolute terms, but the Midwest is definitely popular right now. Yeah. Um. So I think... Relatively, that's a decent prediction. And then lastly, new constructions buyers may have more choices. They nailed that. That's for sure true. Yeah. So that (laughs) one they actually did quite well on uh, just for everyone's information. Normally, new construction makes up about 10, 12% of home sales. This year, it's closer to 30. So if you want some optionality in buying a home, new construction is a great choice. So what do we give them? Like a one and a half out of three here on these three? So well, they also said that um, new home prices would go down, and I wouldn't have predicted that, but I think they were right on that. I think in last year in October, it was 431000 was the median price of a new home, and or no, 479000 and this year, 431000 So And Kathy, that's, that's for new construction, not existing home prices, right? Just, yeah, because in the article, they, they thought that new home prices would come down, which I would not have guessed, but that is what happened. All right, we'll give them a bonus point for that. They, they did better <laughs> than 50-50. <laughs> Redfin, they make a long list of predictions, but we just picked three at random. So they said, home sales will fall to their lowest level since 2011 with a slow recovery in the second half of the year. You guys know anything about this? I think they kind of nailed it because the market, it, it felt like it kind of actually steadily came up from December to April. And now we've kind of flattened out and sales are low. I mean, I think they nailed that one. Sales are definitely low. And I sales do think are they are correct about it being the um, lowest point since 2011. Um Recovery the second half of the year yeah. is what I'm not as sure about. Not they, so much. It's maybe up a tiny bit, but actually I don't think so. I think there's still... Well, I think, yeah. In that article, they they were predicting 4.3 million, which was much, much lower than before. But I think we're at 3.9 million in, in yes. sales. So yeah, yeah they, they were almost right. It's, it's interesting because sales kind of jumped for there was like a three or four month period where things yep. were starting to really move again and 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 start to we were getting multiple offers on everything we put on the market and then it's just kind of yeah so you're saying the opposite so it is slow <laughs> yeah. even further decline in the second right. half. <laughs> right you know but i i kind of feel like that is that domino effect like the expensive markets usually fall first mm-hmm. and then they kind of rebound a little bit more because we've seen it's like slow but it's steady right now whereas we had more of a dip in the beginning of the year and then it kind of rebounded back up with henry's talking about where there's multiple offers and then we've kind of flattened out yeah and so it it depends on what market you're in. I feel like the more expensive markets actually have kind of rebounded a little bit more. All right. Well, Redfin, we'll give you partial credit for that. Second, they said mortgage rates will decline, ending the year below 6%. Oh, again. Makes Ooh. me feel so much better about my prediction. I right. predicted the same thing. 
it just seemed obvious, like inflation is going down, they're getting a grasp on it, then mortgage rates usually follow inflation. And that was not the case. I know for me personally, what I didn't factor in is that uh, the, the Fed would be unloading and selling off treasuries that they had bought and that that was going to flood the market, which we've seen. So it wasn't just, in, it's not just one metric. It wasn't just inflation that we needed to follow on that one. Yeah, it is very complicated what's going on with mortgage rates right now. And uh, unfortunately, they were wrong about this. I think most people would uh, prefer rates to be around 6% as opposed to where they are at about 75 right now. For their last prediction, they said home prices will post their first year-over-year decline in a decade, but the U.S. will avoid a wave of foreclosures. Nailed it. They were wrong. They were wrong about this. <laughs> yep. So they they were. I guess it's half and half, but these seem these two things seem sort of like not connected. Um, home prices did not post their first year-over-year decline, at least according to Redfin's own data, which shows it up about three percent year over year. But the U.S. has avoided a wave of foreclosures so yep that's that's, that's that's what i mean by nailed it we have not seen the foreclosure tsunami that everybody was predicting was coming by any stretch don't tell that to people on youtube henry your comments <laughs> will not be nice they will not agree with you but that's just a fact all right well i wanted to show you share this with you guys because i want to show that making predictions particularly about the housing market right now is hard and we are going to take a break but after that I am going to share all of our predictions about home prices last year and talk about how wrong all of us were. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> this show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All 
All right, so now we heard about mixed results from Zillow and Redfin. And again, if you do go back and listen to the show from last year, you see that we do we were right about some stuff, we were wrong about some stuff. But you know, most people want to know where what direction home prices are going, and all of us were wrong. Do you guys remember what you all said last year? I have a feeling you're going to remind me. I remember. I was way wrong. James, you were the most wrong, and Henry, you were the least wrong. So that is good. Um, we all said that housing prices were de- going to decline uh, by single digits. That was kind of the theme between all four of us. We were all thinking the same way. James, you said about a 9% decline. Kathy, you said seven and a half. You love those seven, everything that starts with a seven <laughs> with you. Me, I said six. And Henry, you said five. As of right now, the case Schiller, and this is data from August, is up 2.6%. So I think there is a possibility that that number will decline. But I think if you look at the trends, it looks very unlikely that prices will turn negative year over year, even by the end of 2023. So just want to caveat all of our predictions that I'm going to make you guys do by just showing (laughs) our credibility from last year. And it's pretty low. (laughs) With that said... James, since you came in last for last year, you have to go first for this year. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I will say I had a negative outlook, but we bought more property than we've ever bought yeah. in this year. So, too. Yes. you know, that didn't affect that we weren't still buying. So we just bought, we're buying different types of product. But it's, uh, you know, you, even though you might think it might be a little bit worse, we just built that into our underwriting. So that just means we got really good deals. Because we had that little bit of a negative approach. And so now the deals look even better than they were. So that's that's the good sign right there. So 2024, give us give us your up, down, flat. Uh, I think that there is going to be, they're going to be kind of flat with a small decline, like a, you know, 2% decline. I think America's slowly eroding money and affordability, and it's going to, it's going to start pulling back all the extra debt that's floating around credit card debt, car loans, that's going to cause affordability issues. And it's just going to make people focus on buying cheaper properties. Yeah. And I think, I mean, negative 2%, I, I, yeah, close to flat. That, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to split hairs here, obviously. Um, but so you're seeing a little bit of downward pressure from where we are now. Kathy, what do you think? Well, given that we had such a crazy year with 8% interest rates and still, well, the case Shiller report is a little dated. So it's, you know, it's a, what, three months or two months? It's, it's lags a lot. Lags. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of before the 8% rate. Um, so like you said, when we see future numbers, it, it could be a different story, but even given how high rates were, uh, that we could be in a positive place. And I do believe that we will see Mortgage rates come down next year, which to me says there will be a frenzy, a buying frenzy. So I'm going to go with up 4%. Okay. I like that. Up 4%. Henry, now you've had a chance to survey the field, see what everyone else... Oh, I guess I should go. <laughs> you you won. I should go. Um, okay. I have a general... I'm, now we're all thinking the same way. I think it's going to be close to even as well. My prediction is that it's going to get worse in the first half of the year because I think inflate, you know, affordability is really bad. And I do think that at a certain point, rates will come down. I don't think a lot, but I think rates will come down a little bit, probably towards the middle-ish of next summer, uh, maybe. And that will put some life into the market and we'll start to see it recover and probably... 
grow one to 2% year over year next year. That's my best guess. Henry? Yeah. So here is, here's what I think. Oh, Henry's doing his victory lap because he, (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you what's actually going to happen. No, my guess is, my guess is that similar to what James believes, I think it's going to be ugly in the first half of the year or maybe the first quarter. Um, But I think that a, we are having an election. And even if the same party stays in power or if a new party goes into power, that that person will probably push on some level of change or uh, economic stimulation. I think, Kathy, I agree with you. I think rates will come down, even if it comes down just a little bit. Uh, I think that's going to create a frenzy. We still have a supply and demand problem, meaning people are still trying to buy the the little bit of housing that are, that's out there. And uh, I think that that's going to create a situation where home values go up. So I would say probably sub 5%. I'm going to go with like 3 to 4%, probably on a national scale. And the smaller markets, I bet it's higher than that. I also think that even if rates stay flat, if they stay flat for an entire year, people get used to what they are. And I think people will continue to buy. So that's partially what's playing into my, to my guesstimation. All right. So we're, we're all thinking somewhere we're, you know, obviously these are different numbers, but there's a similar pattern of thinking here, just like last year when we were all wrong. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys. We're, we're all on record now. Now I have some questions that sort of go into your thinking, right? Because obviously the, you know, prices are largely dependent on interest rates, the broader economy. So curious about your broad, you know, just these broader economic questions. Henry, let's start with you this time. Do you see the U.S. going, you know, in, you know, resurge of inflation? Is it going to go down? Where's the economy <laughs> heading in a, sort of a non-real estate, more macroeconomic level? Everything says that it should be like recessionary now. Like people shouldn't be spending at the rate that they're spending and, and, and doing the things that we're seeing people. Every time I look on Instagram, everybody's someplace tropical and spending all kinds of money, but also all the rest of the videos talk about how expensive groceries are and it's a, you can't afford a house. And so I I don't know, man, I think even, will we be in a recession probably technically, but will that affect how people are spending money? It's hard to say. I think people are still, spending like crazy and i don't know how what were you james you're you're laughing what do you think it's crazy how much money is still being spent like i'm at the airports for commuting for work and people are just traveling the airports are packed it's a zoo in the airports yeah my uber ride was three times what it should be this last time i flew in because it was that busy like my average uber ride was like 40 bucks and it was 130 dollars to get me and i'm like what is going on it's like that people cannot turn off the faucet and credit card debt just hit what they said they racked up over is it 50 billion one trillion now it's above one trillion the total it's above one trillion and and it hit that record mark about ninety days ago. And since then, America still spent fifty more billion dollars on credit cards in the last ninety days. The faucet is on and it is not slowing down. That is true, but I just want to caveat that by if you look at credit card debt like as a percentage of GDP or as a percentage of monetary supply, it's actually down, which is kind of interesting. There's so much money printing that one trillion in credit card debt is not what it was mm-hmm. three years ago. And so if you look at it as a function of people's income, it's not actually that high. Yeah, it's 
Well, I mean, it seems high to me. A trillion dollars. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I guess the way I think about that is debt and American debt is a big issue, but it's a long-term issue. Like it, that, to yeah. me, it doesn't seem like it's an acute issue that just started in the last year. Like this is, it has stayed at a similar rate as a percentage of income for decade now. It's just crazy though. Like, I mean, the amount and the fact that they're paying 20 to 25% interest on this, I want to get into the credit card world. That's what, forget (laughs) hard money, private money. I'm getting into credit cards. Oh man, I feel way too guilty doing that. But I I think the answer is that the GDP is at 4.9% annualized Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is robust. We have really, really strong economic output right now. And that's transferring into jobs. Obviously, we know there's lots of jobs out there. There's been wage growth. So people have money, not everybody, but a lot of people are doing just fine. And they're spending it. I mean, look at those hotel prices. I don't know know about you guys, but I have a hard time spending lots of money on on a hotel room. Unless it's really nice. (laughs) The rooms I'm staying in aren't great right now. (laughs) They're expensive, right? Well, it's funny because I feel like this past year, I was very, I felt strongly that there wouldn't be an economic slowdown. And now it seems like a lot of people, the markets are feeling better about it. And I'm starting to feel worse about the economy, just generally speaking. I know GDP just hit a huge number, but there's just a lot of headwinds. It just feels like if you look at, you know, student debt, the jobs numbers are starting to come down a little bit. Um, you know, there's a lot of geopolitical risk, which is hard to forecast, Mm. but there's just a lot of stuff going on. And even if geopolitical stuff doesn't directly impact the American economy, it does impact consumer sentiment in my mind. And so I'm just curious how all of this is going to happen. Now, does that mean that we'll be in a recession that is officially declared by the National Bureau of Economic Research? I don't know, but I would expect personally, my guess is that we'll see GDP go to a slower rate next year. I don't know if we'll turn negative, but I don't think it's staying at 4.9%. I do think we'll see a, like at least the growth rate decline is my guess. I don't think any new president is going to want to declare a recession in their first term, <laughs> first year. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. All right. Well, we didn't give any specific predictions there, but I do think it's it's really interesting. And this is one of those things that is just really confusing because you just get just constantly contradictory information here. And just want to caveat also that what Kathy said about 4.9% GDP growth, that is above and beyond inflation. So even though inflation is still in the threes, um, that is the growth rate above the pace of inflation. And so that is that is strong. Um, and it will definitely take a significant slowdown to erode at that. Um, so we'll just have to see. For this next question, though, I am going to make you say a number. And we're all going to humiliate ourselves. Kathy, it's your turn. Interest rates in 2024. Where do you see a year from now in November of 2024? What do you think the average rate on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage will be? Well, my answer kind of goes with the question you had earlier is, do you think we'll see a recession next year? And I do um, probably midway through the year, maybe Q2, end of Q2, Q3. And usually when there's a recession and things slow down, then investors buy bonds and that lowers rates. So I I do believe that we'll see rates go down probably not till then, um, not much till then. I mean, we're already seeing some relief right now. Uh, but I, I so I'm gonna say to sum it up, six and a half percent. 
Oh, I thought we were giving you a layup for 7%. You're always at 7%, but six and a half is good. This is just my wishful thinking. I want it at six and a half percent plus. I mean, just to be totally transparent, I interviewed Doug Duncan, I, as you, did you. He's uh, the chief economist of Fannie Mae and has the best track record. It has won awards for forecasting. Yes. He said six and a half percent. So <laughs> I'm going with it. I'm right, going with it. I'll just say six and a half percent. Let's just end the episode. James, what do you think? You know, I agree with Kathy. I think we're going to go into a small recession about halfway through the year. But I, I think right now what we've seen is we've seen the rates go up so high. The median home price is still climbing. And I do think the Fed wants to get housing affordability under control and drive pricing down a little bit so it can get balanced out. So I think that the rates, you know, I was hoping the rates would kind of spike up and then come back down. But the impact of rate increase hasn't been that dramatic. So I think they're just going to stay steady and be around that 7% rate throughout the whole year. And they're just going to slowly keep trying to slow this this beast of economy down. All right, Henry. Yeah, I think it's going to be... Give us 4%. Yeah, no, absolutely. Not. <laughs> if it's four percent, I'm scared of what's going on out there. Like, yes, yeah, something terrible. Yeah, I don't want happened. it to be four percent at all. But I do think that um, we're starting to see a little bit of a slowdown. I think it's going to be flat for most of the year, and I think we are going to come down. I'm not as optimistic as six and a half. I, I'm, I'm closer to the six and three quarters. Okay, we're clustering again. And I, I just want to to reiterate to everyone some some of the thinking that's going on here and explain it because there is. At least we all seem to believe this inverse correlation between the strength of the economy and mortgage rates right now. And that happens for a couple of reasons. First and foremost is the Fed. They are going to be looking at what's going on with both inflation and the labor market. And the Fed is unlikely to lower rates unless they're sort of forced to by either the economy really getting damaged um, GDP going down and the labor and the unemployment rate going up. And so that's one reason. The other reason was what Kathy alluded to is that when there is a recession area environment or fear of a recession, a lot of investors take their money and want to put them in safe assets. Bonds and mortgage backed securities are two generally considered safe assets. And when there's more demand for those assets, the yields on them drop. And so that could help bring down mortgage rates. And so that's why we're all kind of saying if there's a recession, rates will probably drop. If the economy stays hot, rates will probably stay relatively similar to where they are within 100 basis points or so. And so hopefully that that makes sense. And generally, I agree with all of you, but I will just price is right, James, and say 7.1%. So I get the over on top of everything here. (laughs) All right. This next one hopefully should be the easiest. At least we don't have to quantify this one. What market do you predict will do well for real estate investors in 2024? James, let's start with you. You know, I think all markets are going to do well. There's so little product out there, even with the low amount of buyers. Um, I think all states are going to actually do fairly well as long as you're in the right asset class for that. And I like, I mean, going forward for the next year, 2024, we are focusing on affordable single family housing. It it might not be affordable in every market, but what's affordable in our market, right? Like, 
if we're floating around that median home price per city, per neighborhood, that stuff's still getting absorbed really well. And so that is what we're focusing on is affordable rental units uh, with with uh, lower rents because that's where the demand is right now. People need to save money. Affordable housing, right? Uh, ADUs, DADUs, small townhomes. Those things are those things are getting purchased fairly quickly. The high end is not moving as much. But so that is our primary focus, being able to put out the most affordable product in that market. And it's doing well. Like our single family fix and flip, even with these high rates, if you're in the sweet spot of the mm-hmm. affordability, it it trades and it trades quick. And so, you know, that is our primary focus. Don't go custom. Don't go high end. Stick with the masses um, and, and make sure that you can market to the most amount of buyer pool. I think that is very wise. I, I think just affordability in general is a is a really good theme for 2024. Kathy, what about you? Oh my gosh, it's such a broad question. You know, coming back from BPCon, talking to investors who were just making money in all kinds of asset classes in what would be considered a difficult year to invest or what some people outside the industry might think. I mean, you could just make money in, in any asset class in real estate if you know what you're doing. So that's, that's first and foremost. Um, but to predict the market, um, for me, it's the same old, same old. We've been focused on the Southeast. That's where so much growth has gone. It's still somewhat affordable. Like I said, I, I just bought a duplex for the four forties. Uh, that's, that's cheap for me coming from California. So relatively speaking, you know, the South and Southwest or East are, are still affordable in my opinion and where a lot of people are moving. So that's where I'll be investing. Henry, if you had to pick a, portion of Arkansas that was your best <laughs> the market you think is going to do best, which one would it be? Northwest Arkansas, <laughs> by far. But my serious answer to this question is I think the markets that will do the best are the kind of, let's call it the unsexy, bigger cities. So you've mm-hmm. got places like uh, you know, Cleveland, Columbus, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Indianapolis, places where there's job growth, places where there's uh, tech either moving into that area or thriving in that area, places where uh, the population growth has been like steadily increasing year over year uh, and where the uh, supply is still under where it was pre-pandemic levels. So in those markets, you have homes that are under the median home price, uh, the national median home price. So you've got affordability, but you've also got high paying jobs moving into the area and you've got uh, uh, supply and demand in favor of uh, uh, well, you've got more demand than you have supply in those areas. And so I think if rates even begin to come down a little bit in those markets, you're really going to see um, kind of a frenzy in those areas because people have to move there for the jobs and it's affordable. So they're buying houses there. All right. Well, I, I think personally, I, I agree with you, Henry and and James, your thesis, just like, you know, these unsexy big cities and affordable, which is why. I always say it. I am long on the Midwest. I know everyone loves the Southeast right now, but I think the Midwest has some, maybe not, I mean, in 2024, I think they'll do okay, but I just think those, those markets are going to grow. And, um, but just want to caveat what Henry was saying. Not everywhere in the Midwest is going to do well. It's, you know, places that do have population growth. 
Um, I saw something about Ohio that like all of the growth in population in Ohio is like in like two cities. Everywhere else is is shrinking. And so like you need to pay attention to those things. But I think when I say Midwest, I think there's a density of places that are still growing and are still affordable. Um, and that's honestly where I'm looking for 2024. All right. We're getting to our last question, our last prediction. I guess it's not a prediction, but I want your hot takes. Something you're predicting that maybe others aren't thinking about. Kathy, let's start with you. Well, uh, Freddie Mac said that we are 3.8 million homes short of demand. And I've heard much higher numbers. What we know is that there's 692,000 homes being built in some stage of development right now. So there's a, there's a dearth of, of homes. We know that. So finding ways to bring on new supply is where it's at, in my opinion, especially if it could be affordable. So bringing on ADUs, uh, affordable units, multifamily, where I'm getting back into in, in new development. I know, I know we talk about it, but new, new homes is really what's needed, whether it's single family, multifamily, ADU. We've got to solve this housing crisis. That will solve the affordability issue. So that's where the opportunity is. Also, like I said, with our, our fund, we're taking kind of old dilapidated homes that wouldn't be so nice to live in and making them like new. So you don't have to build ground up. You can just renovate a, a home that would be, maybe somebody wouldn't be able to get financing on because it doesn't have a kitchen or, or whatever. And so you're, you're bringing on new supply that way. So any way you can bring on new affordable supply is going to be a winner. Okay. I like that. That's very, I, I goes along with the themes that we've been talking about. James, what about you? What's your hot take? Um, I think this is going to be the year of workout loans with some of these investment banks. You know, one thing that we're seeing, we've actually had some very interesting conversations over the last month or two where there's a lot of investment debt out there starting to be, it, it's concerning. The, the projects are off track. And, and what's happening is, is these banks are starting to actually discount their notes down too Ooh. as these syndicators. And they're giving you different types of structure where you're really negotiating with a bank rather than a seller at that point. Mm -hmm. And and they're focused on protecting principal and they're offering some very low rates if you can come mm -hmm. over and take off that problem off. And so I think hmm. the, the number one seller for us for volume wise over the next 12 months is going to be those big investment banks. And, and they're going to be a little bit flexible, um, especially the ones in the middle of midterms. They do not want a midterm asset that's no. all messed up. And there's been some very bad things happening in the investment space as far as falling apart. I mean, we're, we're seeing some big syndication deals that are very poorly managed. They hired the wrong people. They weren't bad people, but they hired the wrong people. The projects aren't rented right. There's vacancy issues. There's collection issues. There's lease issues. And these banks are holding on to this, and they're going to be a lot more flexible. They just want to push through, get it stabilized, get a good operator in there, and they're going to cut note amounts down. And and they're going to work with you because the math has to make sense, and they understand that as bankers. All right, that's similar to what I was going to say, James. That's me too. I, I, really, what were you going to say, Henry? I was going to say I think that there's uh, there's this going to be this great opportunity that that cash buyers are going to take advantage of. So I think there's going to be uh, institutions or people that are sitting on a lot of cash, maybe because they cashed out of something uh, from an investment perspective that's done well uh, in this climate, and they are going to have the opportunity to buy. 
um, multifamily deals, especially in these uh, less affordable markets like out here in the Midwest. And they can come because these notes are coming due. They're not making sense at 8% interest. The banks aren't going to be able to finance them. And so cash is going to win in that perspective because they can put their cash into these deals, then they're going to get the cash flow because they're cash in. They'll wait for the rates to come down and then they'll refinance uh, those deals when the when the numbers make more sense. And so I think these institutional and cash buyers are going to be able to scoop up phenomenal deals on multifamily projects that aren't penciling anymore. And if you couple that with what James was talking about, as well as being able to work with some of those lenders, use some of the cash that they have, plus get favorable terms from the lender, you might see a lot of these deals get scooped up at a discount. Yeah, that's that's very well said. That Honestly, that's what I was going to say. I think that the multifamily market is going to finally have the adjustment in pricing that I think we've all sort of, everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> Personally, I thought it would have, it would have already happened. Frankly, mm-hmm. I thought we would have seen sharper price declines than we will this year, but people, they're still building that it hasn't even peaked the deliveries of multifamilies. Like it's still coming out. So um, I just think that there's going to be a lot of downward pressure on multifamily, but that comes with a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I give one more hot take? Please. <laughs> I think self-storage is being extremely overbuilt everywhere and mm-hmm. they may not get the returns that they're looking for. I there's like a class self-storage going up all over the country. I mean, Every street I drive down, it seems like there's a brand new facility being built and the numbers don't pencil on those things in the first Mm. one to three years. And so, you know, with that much competition building right next to every other self-storage unit, I just don't see how they're going to get the returns that they're expecting. Yeah, not only that, the banks don't like it that much right now. They don't, the banks really don't like self-storage that much as far as our conversations have gone. The money is going to be pretty tight to get access to, which I agree with Henry. That's going to cause some major fits. Oversupply, lack of funding, that's going to cause pricing to come down. That's, that's a good one. I like that one. I mean, I was thinking about just to shock everyone saying that office was going to be the best performing asset class <laughs> next year. <laughs> to the moon, Hey, there office. could be opportunity. <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking about like, if I said that, the the if I was right, people would think I was an oracle just because no one thinks it's going <laughs> right. to happen. And so maybe it's worth the risk of just making You do kind of look like record. Neo right now. so that would Which be- I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm wearing all black. I've got to get my... This is actually a long (laughs) trench coat. And (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, these are always fun. Again, everyone, you know, these predictions are hard. So um, this is uh, count this as infotainment. You know, we are making these uh, (laughs) predictions as best as we can. Um, But, you know, the reason we do this show twice a week is that information comes out very quickly and things change and are very difficult to predict. And so. We prefer to give you information in real time and share with you what we're actually doing and what's actually happening. And so we'll continue doing that next year. But it is always fun to just try and make some educated guesses about what's going to happen next year. James, Kathy, Henry, thank you so much for being here. Kathy, congratulations on your new grandchild addition to your family. That's very exciting. She's so cute. Mia, little Mia. I'm going to go see her right now. (laughs) All right. Well, go tell Mia that we... I'll love her and want Aww. to hear her predictions for 2024. Okay. <laughs> we need to get an on-the-market onesie for her. Oh, yes. Oh, sure. <laughs> Kaylin, make that happen. <laughs> that was so cute. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you for the next episode. On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. 
The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market, it's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.